Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Do me a favor, Phoenix, so put your hands together as loud as you can. Let's make some noise and let's welcome everyone else at all of our other campuses. I asked them how it sounded when you clapped because I said, they're excited to see you. And they said, they don't make enough noise. And so I said, well, you guys, I'm going to have Phoenix make some more noise. Uh, it's exciting to be able to do church the way that we have the opportunity to do, to do church. And so we get to join with people that many of us maybe will never meet. Uh, but if you are a part of the church, they're doing the same things that we're doing right now. There's, there's people parking cars like you are playing music, watching, teaching kids, making coffee, uh, the exact same way uh, at different places. And we all get a chance to, to make a difference in people's lives that God has specifically brought to, to this Sunday today to do something in and, and through them. And so we're grateful to be together. Hey, you saw in your announcement video there, uh, we have just a few more weeks of this sermon series, Hunting History. And then we're starting a new sermon series that I'm really excited about called I Hate My Marriage. And uh, the reason I'm excited about it is I think... I think God wants to do miraculous things in our midst, uh, and I think a lot of people struggle in marriage. Marriage is, ha- is hard work. If you're a married person and you've been married longer than a couple months and you're allowed to be real with yourself, uh, you'll, you'll agree with me, right? Like, it's, it's uh, nobody? No? Like, it's, it's, it's hard. Like, I've been, marriage is hard. It doesn't matter who you're married to. If you, if, if you were married to yourself, it would be hard to stay married to yourself. And so mar- marriage is hard. You're spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week with the same person for the rest of your life. And, and it doesn't just, good marriage doesn't just happen. And so there's people that say stuff like, I hate my marriage. I hate the person that I married. I hate what they do, what they stand for, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think that God can change and save people's marriages. And so I literally think uh, spiritually, physically, emotionally, that God is going to change people's marriages in the month of February. And it's going to be a great opportunity, not only for you, because some of you, you're, you're not in the spot right now to admit it, uh, but some of you right now in this church that, are, that go to this church, that have been faithful to this church, you're struggling in your marriage right now. Uh, and this series is going to be eye-opening for you. It's going to help you get through it. Uh, and maybe, maybe go, like, if you're going to be married, you might as well have a good one, right? Like, if you're going to, that's what my mom and dad said. If you're going to be married, ha- ha- have a good one. And so I'm going to show you kind of how to work through that, and, and we're going to have a, have a good time. And I'm going to encourage you, invite somebody. I guarantee you, you meet somebody at, 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 at your workplace. You're in school with somebody. You're, you're, you have interaction with somebody that complains to you about their, their marriage. It's a national pastime, right? And so we complain about politics, and we complain about our spouse, which, by the way, you should never do either. You should honor the people who are in charge of our country. Uh, you should serve the king, which is Jesus. You should honor. We're going to teach you this in a few months. I think it's going to be life-changing. And you should honor your spouse before other people and never speak negative about them to anyone besides God. And if you speak to God about how awful they are, he's probably going to show you a mirror and show you how awful that you are as well. And so anyway, you just don't know it. Come to the series. We're going to have a good time. And so uh, we, we are in week number three of this series called Hunting History. And so I want to bring you up to, to speed uh, where we're at. And so there's a time when you go out into the to the field or the forest, uh, where you position yourself, and then you have to wait. We talked about that last week. You got to wait for the, the, the animal to come. You got to be patient. You don't get to decide, hey, I don't want them to come at 8.15 you know, a.m. You just have to wait. After you get yourself in the right spot, we talked about these two things, but it all comes to a head. It all, it all like, you're just with me. Like, if you're, if you're a hunter, I'm not, so I'm just going to imagine that I am, right? And I'm going to pretend that I hunt bear. 
Because if I did hunt, that's what I'd want to kill. And so, uh, and, and, and I'm hunting a bear, right? And I'm out in the middle of the, the Poconos or wherever. And, and I'm in my tree stand, my make-believe tree stand. And I, you know, I'm sitting there and I've been quiet for, for hours, which has never happened before in my life unless I'm sleeping. And, uh, and quiet. And that, that bear, that big monster bear comes through. And I have the opportunity, I have a gun or I have a bow, and let's pretend I have a gun. He comes into my range and I put my gun up and through the scope, I can see that bear. I have a clear shot at, at him or a deer or whatever that you imagine. And some of you are not hunters, you're getting mad at me. Let's, let's put another situation. You, you have come to a place where you can meet the future person of your dreams. You've positioned yourself, you've been patient, you're serving the Lord, and you're in the right spot, you're at church and you look over and that, there's a bear of a man or a, a doe of a girl in your site and you have your gun lined up and you see the the scope through them and maybe you're not you're, you're married and you don't like that illustration let's just say you're a basketball player or something like that and you you have the perfect time the clock's running down the ball's in your hands and there's a moment where in each of those situations you can sit back and you can go oh nice bear what's up nice doe nice oh that that would be good if i would shoot this or you can take the shot or you can it, take the shot, right? That was good. Take, take the shot. Or you have the trigger. You're sweating, right? Everything slows down. You can just... Everything slow, slows down. You're about to snipe this, this bear or this deer. Or you're at church. That's where you should meet your future spouse, by the way. And you position yourself. And you're praying. You look over. And you just start breathing. Not breathing heavy. That's awkward. But you breathe. You breathe kind of quiet. Work with me here. And, and at some point, listen, the animal's not going to go oh, like this. The, 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 the girl's not, you know, not just going to, like, that's just not, the shot's not going to go in by itself. What do you got to do? You got you to pull the trigger. You got to take the shot. You got to slide in, as the young people say. I don't know what they say that or not. I don't know what they say. I can't keep up with that. Just making sure you're awake. You, you, you got to. You got, you got to take the shot. You got, you got to do it. Like God is going to get, set you up. You, you're going to position yourself. You're going to be patient. And eventually you got to take the shot. The Bible calls this faith, by the way. If you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. This is really important to my message today, but really to your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. It says without what? Everybody say it. Faith. faith. You, you've been in church. You've heard this before. It's been on a mug or something like that. You've, you've drank out of. Without faith. It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here's what I've figured out in my life. I have prayers. I have things that God, I want God to do. I have doors I want him to open. I have things that I ask him for. I told you a few weeks ago, God will do what you can't, but he will never do what you can. And some of you are praying for things that you can do on your own, that he has already given you the ability to step out and do. He's waiting for you to do it so that he can open up the next door. He will never do what you can do. He will do what you can't do. He is the God of impossible, immeasurably more you could ever ask you or imagine, but he won't do what you can do. But here's another thing that I figured out in my life, that God often responds to faith, not just needs. It's an important concept because some of you are praying about things that you need, but you've never stepped out in faith to actually receive it. And he responds to faith, not needs. Let me give you an example. There's a story in the book of Mark 5, Matthew 9, and Luke 8 about a woman with the issue of blood. I don't have time to unpack it, but if you're interested and you want to know what her issue was, Google it, right? Don't Google it right before you eat, though. And so uh, it's, it was a bad problem. She was bleeding from a spot you would not want to bleed from. 
And the Bible says she bled for a long time. I believe it was 12 years. And uh, the Bible says she went everywhere she could go. She exhausted all of her resources. She spent all of her money and nothing helped. You ever been there? She's in a hopeless situation. It's bad. Like I could unpack it for you even more. She's a Jewish person. And so blood made you unceremonial, unceremonially clean. And so if you, were, you weren't allowed to go to the temple. She wouldn't be able to make sacrifice. She wasn't allowed to touch people. People weren't allowed to touch her. So she would have been separated from her husband if she had one, from her kids, from her family. She wasn't allowed to go to church because she was bleeding and that made her unclean. She would have been judged by everyone. It, it was the middle of you know, ancient, ancient Jerusalem. It would have been a hard thing for her to cover up, by the way. It wasn't a CVS down the road. So she had issues. And when it says issues, she had a lot of issues. And the Bible says that Jesus shows up, and there is a lot of people where Jesus is that always have needs. There's people in this room. There's people at every campus right now. There's things that you need to see God do in your life. They are, they are needs, unquestionable needs. She has a need. She needs Jesus to touch her. In the middle of this big crowd, if you read this story, people are pushing into Jesus. They're trying to touch Jesus. They're trying to you know, get, a, get a moment with Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus to kiss their baby and sign, sign their shirt and all the things that we do with celebrities. This is what, like Jesus is, 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 is pretty famous at this point. People know what he can do. So they're all trying to get close. And there's this woman, and she also has a need. And the Bible says in the middle of the story that Jesus feels the touch of a specific woman. It's this woman. And as she touches him, instantly she's healed. Instantly. And he looks at his disciples. It's quite comical. And he says, he said, who touched me? And they're looking at him going, everybody is touching you, Jesus. Like, what kind of question? Everybody is touching all of us. Like, I, I'm pretty sure this is not appropriate, right? Like, there's things going on here. And he says, no, somebody touched me. A different touch. So you have all these people. I started picturing this woman. She has the issue of blood, and everybody wants to touch Jesus. They don't care about this woman. They care about their own needs. We're people. We're selfish. We have wants and desires from Jesus, and they're touching Jesus, and they have needs from Jesus, and one of them gets healed. What's the difference? Faith. I don't know if this happened, but I, I have to imagine, if you've ever shopped on Black Friday or you've ever you know, stood in line somewhere, people don't move out of your way. They're like, okay, you want to get close to you? Okay, you go ahead first. You want to buy this TV? Okay, you first. I was here first. I got needs. I need a 50-inch TV for my bathroom. <laughs> like, I need, I need this. You, I know what you need, but I need this. I, I just picture her. She's probably crawling on the ground, right? She's rolling. She's push, people are pushing her back. She's getting denied. She's sneaking around. She's weaving. She's dodging. She's do, you know, going in stealth mode. She's ninja moving, and she's working her way. And finally, she gets to Jesus, and it's slow mo taking the shot. She knows that she touches him, and he knows that he touched her. And he's a Jewish rabbi. He's going to be angry at her, so she's going to try to do it secretly. And she touches him, and the Bible says instantly she's healed. Why? Jesus often responds to faith, not just needs. Without faith, it is impossible to please, to please God. Here's what I know about people in general that go to church. Most of us are not in imminent danger of ruining our lives, like right now. I don't think that that's true. Like you're not going to ruin your life tomorrow. Most church people, some of you will. This is the way that it is. I've been doing this for a long time. Some people just, like the Bible says, like a dog returning to its vomit. That's what it says. You're like, did that taste bad? Let me try that again, right? <laughs> and so there's, it's, I mean, honestly, there's times where it's like, it's just hard to deal. You just go, okay, eat, eat the throw up, right? That's another sermon, though. <laughs> Most of us are not in imminent danger of ruining our lives. Most of us are, are in an imminent danger that is far greater, and I would say that it's, we're in danger of wasting our lives. 
We're going to waste it. We're going to get ourselves in position. Some of us are going to be patient. And the opportunity is going to be there to take the shot. The opportunity is going to be there to start that business. The opportunity is going to be there to switch that career. The opportunity is going to be there you know, to take that career path that God is telling you to take. The opportunity is going to be there to have that conversation with the person that you've been praying about. The opportunity is going, to, is going to be there to stay faithful. The opportunity is going to be there to take the shot, not knowing how it's going to work out. And because of fear, most of us struggle to take it. I want to drop you into a story for the remainder of our, of our, of our message story about a man named Moses in the book of Exodus, and, and really, this story goes all throughout Exodus, and, uh, but we're going to spend most of our time in Exodus 2, 1, 2, 3, and 4, and I'm not going to read all the chapters, and be like, that's going to be a long sermon. I only have three points, and so, uh, but I want to take you into this story, because I think it's a great example of taking this shot. I think there's a few examples. A few years ago, we did one on Eli- Elisha, and we called it Don't Balk, like, take the shot, and so it's a very similar story. Maybe you never heard of Moses, and so let me just kind of explain to you. Mo- Moses is, is, is born a Hebrew slave. So at this point, uh, his people have been enslaved by the Egyptians for about 400 years, 360 years, right around there. And uh, he's born into this society where he doesn't get a choice of what he's going to be. He's going to be a slave. He's going to make bricks. They're going to build, build the empire of Egypt. This is what they are. He's a slave. And because they had been there for so many hundreds of years, these, these Hebrews, uh, they made a lot of babies, just kind of the natural progression of, of society. And the Pharaoh of Egypt began to get intimidated and worried because he basically said, hey, we have so many slaves here right now that if they continue to reproduce, there's going to be more slaves than there is Egyptians, and they're going to rebel and take us over. And so he comes up with the plan, and the plan is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty gruesome plan, uh, we're going to kill every baby boy under the age of two right now. And Moses just happens to be born at this time in history. So his mother has Moses, super excited, finds out. Uh, The Egyptians are coming to kill your baby. And she is so desperate that she takes her baby, she weaves a basket, she takes her baby, she sticks the baby in a basket, puts him in the Nile River, crocodile-infested, large body of water, and pushes him down the river. Because basically what she was saying, he's going to die anyway, so let's see what happens. His sister follows him, and so we know where he ends up, and it's not by chance God's hand is upon the life of Moses Uh, But Moses ends up floating by the princess of Egypt as she's bathing in the Nile River. She picks it up, realizes it's a Hebrew baby, falls in love with this baby, and instead of following the rules to kill Moses, she takes him in as his own, as her own. And for the next 40 years, he lives as a prince, an adopted prince of Egypt. So he was a Hebrew slave. And he lives 40 years in the palace, learning the palace ways, learning the traditions, learning about how stuff goes. He has a brother that's going to be the future pharaoh of Egypt. And this is his life. When he's 40 years old, uh, which which is interesting because I'm about to turn that age, and so I relate to him. He's 40 years old. He loses his mind. I get it. (laughs) He's walking by a a slave one day being abused by, by, by an Egyptian guard. And he loses his mind. I don't know. I, don't, I think he's probably seen this over 40 years. But something clicked in him. And it's this position that God has put him in, so, something changes, and he loses his mind, and he kills the guard to save, this, to save the, the, the Hebrew slave. And he is terrified in that moment because he realizes, I'm an adopted Hebrew slave that's living in the palace. And when they found out, find out that I'm a traitor and betrayed them, and I killed this man, they're going to kill me as well. So he comes up with the plan, and his plan is, I'm going to run. And he runs as far away as he can, the Bible says, into the wilderness. And he spends the next 40 years of his life 
as a, as a shepherd, herding sheep, working for his father-in-law named Jethro. He marries Jethro's uh, daughter. I think her name is Zipporah. And they have two young boys. And he's going to spend the rest of his life hiding from that sin. He's just going to hang out. I'm going to be a shepherd, take over Jethro's thing, make a couple more babies, you know, have the perfect family, grow the perfect duck dynasty beard, you know, all that stuff going on. He's going to live differently. He's going to hide from, from, from that. And you pick up the story in the book of Exodus chapter 3, and everything changes in Moses' life. Everything changes. The Bible says he's minding his own business on a normal day, maybe like today, and he, he arrives at what, what is a peculiar scene. It's a bush that is burning. Uh, that's on fire, but it's not burning. It's just, it's just on fire, and it starts talking to him. Kind of crazy. No crazier than you being at church today, though, if you're honest. Some of you are like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe God's speaking to me. And the Spirit of the Lord begins to speak to Moses, and he tells Moses, listen, my people have been praying for 400 years to be delivered from the, from the, 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 the hands of the Egyptians. And uh, I've heard their prayers, and I think Moses is like, yeah, great. And you're going back to lead them out. And Moses has one of those moments, one of those oh crap moments. Oh snap, like oh no. Find somebody else. He tells them really simply in, in, in Exodus 3, just to kind of summarize. He says, he says, now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Interesting enough, you see all the preparation in his life. He spends 40 years in the palace. Who better to go back and walk into the palace and know how to talk to the Pharaoh than somebody who has spent there? But also interesting enough, he's going to go back to the wilderness to lead God's people to the promised land, which is where he spent the last 40 years. So God, in the midst of his mistakes, has been preparing him from this mo for this moment. And he hears the Lord speak really clearly. And I think, I think a lot of us get stuck, get stuck here. Because sometimes we do struggle with not knowing what to do, right? Like sometimes it's like, you know what, do I order chocolate or vanilla ice cream? <laughs> and I get it, other big decisions. I, I get it. Like we're going to come to the crossroads of this. Life is all about decisions. And I think there's times where there is a legitimate struggle for us as Christians where we're like, I don't, I'm still waiting on the Lord to reveal himself. But I think a lot of other times we know what to do. We're just afraid to do it. Like how many times is God going to tell you to tithe? How many times is he going to tell you to be generous? How many times is he going to tell you to serve? How many times is he going to tell you to stop looking at pornography? How, how many times can he tell you in scripture before you just go, you know what? I'm going to listen to what God is saying. How many times can he say do something where you're like, well, I'm just going to keep thinking about it. And what's happening is, is you're afraid, right? And fear can be a great thing, but it can also be a horrible deterrent in the plan of God for your life. Fear is there for protection, but oftentimes it's our excuse where we hesitate and procrastinate in the moment. And the thing about following God's plan for your life, you need to understand this. It's not safe. It's not easy. In fact, my mom and dad used to teach me. They said, listen, if the life you're living is anything other than the result of a God-sized miracle, you're probably not living the life God, that God has called you to. It's just not like if you can do this without God... You're probably not doing it, but when you step out and you begin to really seek the presence and the power of God in your life, it's not easy. Sometimes he leads you to dangerous places. Sometimes he takes you into situations that feel overwhelming and bigger than you so that you can decrease so that he can increase. 
And so many of you right now, God has clearly spoken to you. You have the gun in your hand, so to speak, or the ball or whatever in your hand, and everything has slowed down to this moment, and you're hesitating. And listen, many God dreams die on the battlefield of hesitation. You can't move forward till you move forward. Let me say that to you again. Some of you are like, what's that mean? You're not going anywhere so you do what God has called you to do. So let me show you what Moses does in this moment because he struggles just like, like we are. He didn't want this. Just trying to mind his own business. He certainly doesn't want to go back to Egypt where he's wanted for murder, right? Let me show you the three things that I think we struggle with in these moments, what I would call deadly hesitation. One, if you're struggling with deadly hesitation, you need to know that the first thing that you're going to do is you are always 100% of the time going to find excuses. You are always 100% of the time always going to find excuses. I started to think about finding excuses, how easy it was. And I think finding excuses is as easy as finding a pizza shop in the northeast part of Pennsylvania. No matter what town you live in, whether you live in Montgomeryville, whether you live in, in, in Phoenixville, whether you're in Royersford, Spring City, Boyertown, Pottsgrove, Pottstown, you know, Chester Springs, Kim, does Kimberton have, I don't know if Kimberton has pizza, probably got cauliflower pizza, right? And so, <laughs> something like that. But almost, don't judge me, I live out there, I know, it's a different world. But no matter where, if you want pizza, you can find pizza. It, it might not all be created equal, like some of it is legit and some of you are like, what, like, how do you mess this up? How do you mess up? And I get it. Some of our excuses seem legit, right? Like they're big time. Some of them are lame, but you can find them either way. And here's the problem with excuses is God's will is unaccessible to your excuses. It will always be easier to find excuses than it will be to follow God's call on your life. If you are struggling in hesitation, I can guarantee you, you're finding all sorts of reasons, justifiable, big, small, easy, great, where you don't, you can't do it, you won't do it, it won't work, excuses. And listen, Moses does the exact same thing. It's where we always start. God's given us the opportunity to take the shot. He's making it clear. He's saying, do it. You're afraid. What are you going to do? You're going to make excuses. This is exactly what Moses does. Watch what he says in the book of Exodus chapter 3. And you start every conversation that you're afraid of with God with but, Right? But Moses said to God, watch what he says. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? you got somebody better than me, I guarantee, God. There's somebody out there more qualified. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them. So he gives them a scenario, like a really big excuse. Let me, let me, just, let me just show you why this isn't going to work, God. Suppose I go to the, 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 the Pharaoh, the, the, them, the, the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to tell them? Bush? Burning? What am I supposed to say to them? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in after 40. I've never even been a slave in my life. I was born a slave, and I was taken into the palace, and I'm going to walk back in to the leaders of the slaves of the Hebrews that have been praying for somebody to deliver them, and I'm going to say, I got, I got you. He ain't been there for four. Where have you been? Well, you know, I've been growing this beard. I've, I've been taking care of sheep. I am mentally, physically prepared. Why? Well, because I spent this time with this bush that was burning, told me to go, you know, whole nother story. What am I going to tell them? They're not going to listen to me. We do this all the time, by the way. I'm not, I can't do this. 
You know my past? I can't have a good marriage. I've, I've been promiscuous and given, like, I can't be faithful to the person that you want me to be faithful to. I can't stay off of drugs. I, have, I was born into addiction. Choose somebody else. I don't want to be generous. Man, I grew up in a family where they take everything and save it for themselves, and you want me to give money away? I can't be generous. Find somebody else to, be, find somebody else to build your kingdom. Keeps going. Watch what he says in Exodus chapter 4 because Moses is still under the assumption that he can come up with an excuse that is justifiable. Moses 4 says this, verse number 1, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? He's given very clear answers of what they're going to say, justifiable. The Lord didn't appear to you. Moses said to the Lord, and here's another thing, uh, and he, he gets really serious in this moment. He says, pardon, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, and I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, maybe you don't understand what that means, uh, but most theologians believe that he is saying, I, I, have a, I have a speech impediment. You want me to go back and speak on your behalf, and I can't even talk to my kids right. You want me to explain eloquently the goodness of God and the hand of God on the, 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 the slaves and how we're going to the promised land? I'm not even going to be able to get that out of my mouth. They're all going to laugh at me. He says, I don't have eloquent speech. By the way, many theologians believe that at some point he developed this. Most people believe that he developed it in the wilderness in the 40 years since his murder because of the stress and anxiety of what he had done. He had ran from it, and it developed all sorts of issues in his life. He says, I can't go back and speak to them. I'm going to tell them to let, let my people go. I'm going to stutter my way through this, and they're going to laugh me out of the, out of the palace. What am I going to do? Find somebody better. You know why I love this story? Because I think a lot of you in this moment, you have justifiable reasons and excuses why God can't use your life. Here's the thing about it. Uh, Moses, probably the greatest leader uh, in the Old Testament, his career starts as a murderer. If you flash forward, you know, 16, 13, 14, 1500 years, whatever it is, to the life of, of the New Testament, a man named Paul that writes a lot of the New Testament, a missionary, starts churches, preaches the house down. You know what his career was, how it started? He's a murderer. He's a regular death row, right? Like this book is filled with people with, with reasons, justifiable reasons as to why God should not have used their life. I get it, but you need to understand that deadly hesitation is always finding excuses, and excuses are just lies wrapped up in reasons. You know what God hears when we make excuses? Blah, 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 it's in the Greek, blah, 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 blah. Take the shot. Take the shot. Don't have excuses. Let me just give you two more real fast. Uh, number two, believes this. Timing is everything. T timing is everything. In, in hesitation, what do we believe in? It's not the right what? It's not the right time. It's not the right moment. Not everything is, is perfect. You know, the, the weather is not perfect. My hair is not perfect. My body is not perfect. My education is not perfect. You know, everything about me is not perfect, and I need to wait for the timing to be perfect. We do this all throughout our life. Think about it. The 12-year-old says, I'm too, I'm too young to think about God. You get to 18, you say, I'm too smart to think about God. 22-year-old say, I'm too happy to think about God. I get to 25, and you say, I'm too busy to think about God. 30 hits, you're too smug to think about God. You get to 40, you're too tired, I get it, to think about God. 50-year-old say, I'm too worried to think about God, and by the time you get to 60, you just say, I'm too old to think about God. 
We hesitate our way all the way through life thinking about the perfect timing. And I used to believe this. I used to believe this, this lie. And here was the lie. Um, to do what God has called you to do, you got to wait for perfect timing. And perfect timing equals perfect peace. That's what I thought. So what I thought, like when I, when I, when I, I remember my first, anything we'd done, we moved here, we started this church. I remember in 2005, you come here and you feel the peace of God in your life when you make the decision. You're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And you think yes equals easy road, right? So I move here and I'm like, I'm like, okay, God, it's like the dominoes and I'm the first domino and I, you know, did what I'm supposed to do. So now the rest of the dominoes in my life, you're just going to kind of just make them go. And it's just going to open up. Every door is just going to swing wild, you heavenly host. And, and everything else is going to be easy. And it's, everything's going to be perfect. And I used to think this. And I even, I even had this kind of immature thought life where I thought to myself, you know, that's how God works. Like you would see some people and their life would be difficult. And you're like, man, they're not serving God right. Because if you serve God, there's books in the Christian bookstore that says you can live your best life if you just, you know. Just show up to church. He's going to give you the best life you've, you've ever had, and he has a good plan for your life. In fact, I saw this, this meme the other day, and I'm not like a big meme person, but I saw this meme, and it said, God has a, a great plan for your life, which, which is true, but then the picture was Peter being crucified upside down. That's how he died, by the way. Like, we don't know about that because we live in America. So when we say God has a great plan for life, what do we think? Man, Beamer, right? Big house. Three perfect kids. Perfect. <laughs> Everything is easy. And I used to think that. If I just, so if I do something and I know I've listened to you, but it gets difficult, I'm like, oh, I must have not heard God. Here's what I figured out. The Bible does talk about peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. But biblical peace is different than worldly peace. Biblical peace is a peace that God gives you in spite of how difficult things get. So 15 years later, here's the peace that I now have. No matter what God calls me to, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how, you know, the walls that get in my way, the doors that feel like they're closing, everything feels difficult. I still, through all of it, because of what I've gone through, I've developed a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that is simply the spirit of God, of God going, you're going to be fine. You're going, you're going to be fine. And a lot of times when you're hesitating, you're thinking, man, timing is not right. It needs to be easier. It needs to be calmer. It, 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 it needs to be better. It need, the doors need to be bigger. It needs to be clearer to me. It's not the right time. I stepped out. It got more difficult. And I got to make sure you understand this because we get a lot of new believers and people that come to this church that have never been to church before and they start serving the Lord. And the first couple of weeks, they're like, my life is getting so much great. It's just great. Everything's perfect, blah, blah, blah. And I want to tell them all the time, listen, keep going. It's going to get rough at some point because you have started to walk away from the grip of satan your enemy he has blinded you and you are walking in freedom and i got to tell you with all the powers of hell that he has he wants to pull you back and he is going to try to frustrate you he is going to lie to you that's why the bible says to take captive every thought right that's why it says to to take have the mind of christ that's why it says to 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 to, to build your life and fill your life with the words of god and so you need to understand he's gonna he's gonna pull you back as much as he as he can and so at some point in your life as you're serving the lord you're gonna have to understand at the right time the right time in your life is just to do what he's calling you to do right away that's the right time the right time in your life is to do and at some point you're gonna have to do it afraid just the way that it is you're going to have to step out into, into some form of, of terror in your life. It's like a rope swing. You ever been on a rope swing? Eventually, you've got to let go of the rope, rope swing or it's not fun. Only if there's water underneath you. <laughs> let me give you one more as we close. 
I think uh, that deadly hesitation, um, this, is, this is the hardest one. It gets tied down in the details. It gets tied down in, in the details. In other words, many times our head gets in the way. We try to follow, follow the Lord with a reasonable mind, but what we forget is he is an unreasonable God. It's just the way that it is. He's unreasonable. Like I, he, we, we, we tend to do that with God. We're like, well, you just want to reason with him. Like, I'll, I'll give you a couple hours a week, God. Is that cool? And I try to tell people all the time, listen, you either give God everything or don't give him anything. He, he, he don't want a little bit of sacrifice. He don't want leftovers. He wants all of you or he wants none of you. That's just the way that you choose. You either give him every part of your life or you keep it. T- listen, this, I, I've been telling you this a lot because I want to make sure we do this, especially as we continue as a church into the next decade. This is an awful hobby to add to your life. Awful. Get up early on Sunday? Why? It's an awful hobby. It's the best thing you can ever give your life to, though. It's the best sacrifice you can ever make. It's the best laying down of your life, saying, I'm going to give you everything that you have. And we tend, to, we tend to want to follow God with this reasonable mindset. How much can I give to you? But he's an unreasonable God. In fact, watch what the Bible says. I love, I love these passages because they're, they're almost like kick you in the face. Good, you know what I'm saying? And they're from Jesus. Watch what Jesus says. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. He can't, you just can't. If that's not how much you love me, you can't be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You just can't. So we say, man, God, Jesus wants you to hate people? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying he wants it to look as if you hate other people when they compare the amount of love you have for him. Now that's what, so when people see you, they're like, man, it feels like you don't love me anymore because of your commitment to Jesus. Like, it feels like I'm second. You are. Let me just make it practical in American. You're like, that seems, that's heavy. Like there's going to be a time when you start coming to church every week, like week after week after week. This becomes your life. This is not a club you're a part of. This is a mission that you've joined. You are a soldier in the Lord's army. You strap up and you seek and save the lost. And it's just part of what you do. And I got to tell you something. When you begin to live your life like that, people don't understand it. And Sunday is not sacred to anybody anymore, right? The only people it's sacred to is Chick-fil-A. Everybody else, cheaper to get married on Sunday, right? Cheaper to rent a venue on Sunday. Why do you think that is, by the way? Satan will do everything he can to keep people away from church. And so you're going to be coming to church. Somebody's going to invite you to a, some, kind of, some kind of Sunday gathering. Every shower in the world is on Sunday. Every shower. I'm not talking about rain. Every wedding now is on Sunday. There's funerals. On, I'm like, they're dead, right? They do it on Monday. Everything is on Sunday. Dinners, brunch sports games, things like that. And somebody's going to say, hey, can you come to the shower? And you can say, yeah, what time does it start? Ah, oh, it starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. You know? And they're going to say, oh, I can't. I'll be there at, I go to church at 1030. Or I come to, I'll, you know what, I'll get to the 9, so I'll get out at 1030. And I can probably make it there by 11, but I'll miss the first part. I won't be able to see you cut the cake or, you know, play the silly games or whatever we do at showers. I don't know. I'm a guy. And so, and they're going to say, we've been friends for years years and you would be late to my sh- the most important moment of my life you'll say yeah i got church you go to church every week and the truth is you're lying because you don't you go to church once twice a month so 26 weeks a year right every week you can't miss one they're gonna get all dramatic one week not but i'll be there 
I'll be there. And here, here's, can I just tell you why you do that? It's going to be like, why would you ever do that to your friend? Because at some point, if your friend doesn't know Jesus, guess what's going to happen to their life? Okay. It's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. And if they see a faith that is weak and, and, and apathetic and doesn't sacrifice and doesn't love the Lord that the way it's supposed to love, guess who they're not coming to? Hey, you want to join a group of apathetic people at church on Sunday morning and add something to your life? No. Hey, I notice your life is different. I notice you sacrifice. I notice you give things up. I notice you were willing to allow me to think that you didn't love me because of your love for Jesus Christ. I notice that. Some of you are like, I don't have any friends. Okay, let me talk about your kids then. <laughs> You're going to have a conversation with your kids someday. Kids, my, my son right now took me to Amazon. He wanted to look at Air Max. Well, I, here's the thing. Why does all the stuff that was cool when I was a kid is now cool again, but it's like three times the price? And some stuff wasn't cool, and it's now cool now. And it's, wait, like this champion sweater, by the way, I got it Gabe's for $7.99 yesterday. But they tell me champion is cool. I'm like, in what world? Champion was never cool, right? You weren't champion if your parents wouldn't buy you starter. So if you got a starter jacket, just embrace it. I'm sure Urban Outfit is going to bring it back at some point, And you can bust it out, that Raiders one, and, you know, dust it off and put it back on. So we're looking at, there's going to be a time when your kids are looking at you, my kids looking at the Air Max, and there's $250 shoes for kids. My, my 12-year-old, he's looking, I'm like, you ain't getting those. Why? I'm like, because you just aren't. I wouldn't buy those, and you're 12, and listen, you ruin everything. And I remember the same conversation with my kids, but the truth is I wouldn't spend $250 on shoes ever. And the reason I wouldn't is that I would tell them, I said, like, man, we, we, we tithe. We have three compassion kids, and we give money to four or five different organizations locally. And, and we make we make this. We want to live generous lives, as as an example to our church. And and we don't have all that extra money in our in in, in our thing. I'm not I'm not planning for retirement like some people and say, you know, I got I am saving, but I'm not going to be rich at retirement. I want to be rich in heaven someday. So sometimes I got to tell my kids, no, what, you hate me. No, I'm just not an idiot. I am never going to spend $275 on a pair of shoes for you, ever, ever, especially ones that haven't been cool for 20 years. You hate me. No, no, it's not that I hate you. It's that I love God. I'm going to lead you to a great life serving God. You want to follow God in a reasonable way, but he's unreasonable. And the reason it's so important is reasonable followers of Christ see reasonable results in their life when it comes to following God. You, you don't see God move. You want to see God do the impossible? You got to step out in impossible moments. And I think a lot of times we say, okay, well, give me the details then. Let me get all of the details of how it's going to work out. I want the God to move, but I want to know exactly how it's going to play out. I'll start tithing. I want to know job. I want to know, you know, date of, date of marriage. I want to know date of first child. I want the details, and I'll step out and do this one thing. This little thing, I'll do it. You give me the big plan. We want that. And the, the principle in Scripture, you need to understand, is never outcome, and then it's followed by obedience. It's always first obedience followed by outcome. I want you to see this in the, in, the, in, the, in the story. If you go to Exodus chapter 4, verse number 12, he, he says this to him. They're kind of arguing back and forth. He tells them eventually, you're going to go. He goes through some other stuff. But then he says in Exodus 4, verse number 12, uh, he says, now, now go, he says. 
We're not thinking about it. We're not talking about it. We're not going to educate you. We're, now go, he says. Watch what he says. And, and, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. What does it he say? Okay, we're going to go into a season where I educate you for the next six months. I'm going to get you ready. I'm going to teach you how to speak really, really, really good Egyptian. And we're going to cut that beard off. We're going to groom you up. We're going to work on that murdering temper you have. We're going to get you all ready so that when you go back here and they tell you no, you don't have a temper tantrum, you know, push over one of the golden idols and walk out. We're not going to work on that speech and pet. We're not going to do that. You're going to go, and as you go, when you begin to speak, I'm going to give you what you need. You're going to obey, and then you're going to see the outcome. And somebody say, why is God like that? Why, does he, why, wasn't he, why don't he just show up? Well, listen, listen, you can't handle the entire story right now. You have kids. You ever spend a day with kids? And you tell them, hey, we're going to go have family day tomorrow. But not everything is about them and the family day. Let's be honest. You can't do something for 12 hours, kid stuff. Right? You just can't. You, have, there's, you, you can play, but you also have to do things like a dad adults do. So like a lot of times on Saturdays, it'll be like, hey, we're going to go out tomorrow. You know, what are we going to do? And they always ask me, what are we going to do? And I never tell them on Friday. And the reason is not because I'm trying to surprise them. It's because I don't want to pull my hair out. Because if you begin to tell them everything you're going to do, they're going to complain. Like you might be going to Urban Air. You might go to Arnold's. You might stop at Chick-fil-A. But mixed in the middle of it, you might have to go to Target for a couple hours. Your mom might take me and my three boys on a Saturday and think it's a good idea to shop at Marshall's. She might. Or Home Goods. We might have to stop at Ikea. We, at some point, in the middle of urban air and buying you, you know, Chick-fil-A or whatever meal you want and going to get, get a muffin at, the, at, at my favorite muffin. These are all places that we go. In the middle of it, at some point, we might have to stop at Aldi's because you've eaten every square inch of the cupboard out this week. It's all gone. We might have to get some more groceries. I don't want to hear. I don't want to shop. Why does mom make me go with her? I'm a boy. I don't like to go to Marshall's. And I always tell them, I say, I'm preparing you for husbandship. You're going to lose a lot of your life. At Marshall's, you're going to have to go, which is part of it. You're going to have, when they say, does this shirt look good? You're going to have to act like, you. yeah. I love it. You're not going to be able to be on your phone. I mean, argument of my house right now is when you're in a rest, in a thing, you know, watching me, with me shopping, don't be on your phone. It looks good. I'm like, what do you want me to do? She's like, when we first got married, you didn't get on your phone. I was like, because I didn't have one yet. But the Lord has delivered me from my moments of sorrow and stress. So now I can go pop a squat at some seat somewhere and take out my phone. And I've been delivered, right? The truth is, you just don't tell your kids where, 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 where you're going because they just drive you crazy. This is how God works. If, if God would have told me in 2005 when I said yes to start in this church and move from Oklahoma... If you said, this is how it's going to go down. In the next 15 years, here's what's going to happen. Uh, here's the heartbreak you're going to face. Here's the situations that are going to arise. Here's the moments of question. Here's, here's the marriage difficulty season you're going to go through. You know, Here's also the good moments. You're going to end up in Phoenixville, and you're going to live here, and you're going to have three boys, and you're going to have five campuses. And you know, he has good and bad. The truth is, I would, like, we, always, we always lean to the, to the negative. Or I'd be like, nah, I'm staying in Oklahoma people nice, food good, job, I'm a children's pastor, you can't get in trouble for being a children's pastor, like you get paid to do chubby bunny and stuff like that, you know, the biggest controversy I was involved in in three and a half years of being a children's pastor is one night I fed all of the kids popcorn and Mountain Dew, oh my gosh, right, 
I didn't know. I didn't have kids at that point. <laughs> and like I wouldn't, but I look back over the last 15 years as I've walked with God's plan and tried to position myself and stay patient and try to take the shot when God has called us to take the shot and know what's coming. And man, uh, I, I love being on a journey with God. I can't wait till he, the next time I got my, I got my, 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 my sights up. That's, what I, that's the position I'm in right now. And I'm just positioning myself and, and the, next, the next bear, animal, you know, spouse or whatever you're looking for comes into my sight. Opportunity to start a campus and I'm there. And I've watched God move mightily in our church's behalf and I can just take the shot. See, in 20 years from now, it's not going to be the things that you, that you failed at that you remember. It's not. You're going to fail. In 20 years... It's going to be the decisions that you didn't make, that you didn't take, that you're going to be thinking about. I wish I would have. I wish I would have. And moments like this are important, friend. Moments like this to step out and say, you know what? God's calling me. Like this moment right here, January 26th, that's today, right? Last Sunday of 2020. This impacts my entire year. How you start is how you finish. My entire year can be different based on my willingness to step out in faith. Do what God has called me to do. Take the shot. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? I want to lead you through a time of, of prayer. Uh, but I got to be honest with you. Every, every service that we do, at some point, we, we, we pray and beg that God would transition um, the spotlight away from the one who's speaking and the one who's our, who are playing off of him on, onto himself. And he would eventually develop what I would call an audience of one with you. That he, he would get rid of every other distraction in this place. And he would meet you right here in a very real moment. He would speak to you. That even as I'm speaking, it's almost as if my words are just quieting out. And in your, in your spirit, in your head, you just begin to, to, to feel, to experience the presence and the power of God. And that's all we want for every service. I want God to, to, to move through what I say. I want him to speak clearly. I want the worship to be anointed. But at the end of it, I just want him to move powerfully. Some of you, are, you're here, and you, you've already received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he literally has taken you to, to a moment, just like Moses, where he's been speaking to you, and you've been hesitating, and you've been afraid. And today, this day, you're going to write this down somewhere. January 26th is the day that I said yes. I stepped out into fear. I did it afraid. I stopped using excuses. I stopped wanting all the details. I just obeyed because I know that's the right step. I'm going to have obedience and then outcome. Some of you, it's a very small thing, by the way. It's a very small thing. You've been looking at it and going, well, why does God care if I'm obedient in that small area? You know why? Because there's a principle in Scripture. And the principle is when you're faithful and trusted with something small, then God can move you on to something bigger. You gotta first be faithful and trusted with that small thing. For, for some of you, it's as simple as showing up to work on time. That's, that's just the next thing he's calling you to. To not gossiping. Uh, to, to, some of you, it's a big, maybe a big thing. Maybe it's switching a career. Maybe it's changing a major at a college. Maybe it's switching colleges. I'm not sure. I can't tell you exactly how he's speaking to you, but I know that he has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants to guide and direct each of your steps. 
And for some of you in this place, as, as we pray through that as, as, as Christians, maybe you, when I say the word Christian, you're like, what does that mean, a Christian? It's like a church person. No, they're different. You can go to church your entire life and not be a Christian. Some say, how is that possible? The same way you can stand in a, in a garage for years upon years and never become a car. You can call yourself whatever you want, but some people have not been reborn into a follower of Jesus Christ. They never laid down their life. They never confessed him as their Lord and Savior. He's not real in their life. And the way, the reason that you know that he's not real in their life is they're not producing fruit. Because the Bible says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can produce much fruit. The Bible talks about that fruit, the patience, the love, the joy, the faithfulness. All these fruits of the spirit that God begins to produce. So you know you're a Christian when your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, when it begins to change. You're not perfect. You're changing. You're growing. So there is people in this place that they are fully devoted to the walk with Christ. And they are not perfect people, but they are saved people and changing people. And that's what a Christian is. A Christian has somebody who decided, I can't live life on my own. I want to receive the good news of God through his son, Jesus Christ. I want to confess him with my mouth and believe in my heart that he died on a cross for my sins. He rose in power on the third day. And it's through him that I have new life. It's through him that I'm a new creation. It's through him that I have the power to see myself changed. It's through him. That's what a Christian is. Not a perfect person. It's a submitted person. And some of you right here, right here, you're here. Like you, you've never been in a moment like this before. You don't even know what's going on, but you can feel something. The Bible describes it as a knocking in, in your chest. That, uh, I, when, when I gave my life to Christ, it was almost a burning. I could feel, I could feel the spirit of the Lord drawing me to Him. But the Bible calls it a gift, a relationship with God, and a gift has to be received. So He did all the work. He knocked at the door of my heart. He set up the moment that I gave my life to Christ. But in that moment, I had to submit myself to him. I confessed that he was my Lord and Savior. I believed in what he did for me on that cross. And he came into my life and he has changed me. And he has never stopped loving me. He has never stopped being my friend. He has never left me. I have failed him many times and he has picked me back up and he's kept going with me. And that same Jesus is here right now. And I think you hear the exact same things that I've been saying today. Take the shot. Some of you have so many excuses. It's not time yet. I, don't, I got more life to live. I got all these things to do. I got all these plans. Listen, the life that you're going to try to live without Christ does not even compare to the life that God has for you. Submit your life to Christ right now. And he will take you. He will change you. He will fill you up. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll comfort you. He'll never leave you. He'll never turn his back on you. That's my God. And he's in your sights right now. You're in the right spot. You're in the right spot. This is a spot where there is no judgment, there is no condemnation. I believe there's somebody at all of our campuses right now, maybe many people, that need to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says all you got to do is call on his name. So here's what we're going to do, friend. Uh, if you're ready to take that shot today, open up your life to Jesus Christ. There's somebody standing at every one of our campuses, Montgomeryville, Limerick, Plymouth Meeting, Royersford. There's even somebody online right now moderating our, our, our stream. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is here and every one of our campuses. He's speaking and he is drawing people to himself. And we have a, a, a tradition in this church. We don't make people come forward. Uh, we end our services the exact same way we will to the day that Jesus comes back, I believe. Uh, 
But I ask people every week, whoever preaches, do you need a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you need to respond to the gospel? And if that's you, we ask you to do one thing. Not come forward, not pray some long prayer. Just simply shoot your hand in the air. And so I'm going to ask you in a second. And if that's your universal sign of surrender, by the way, is to put your hands in the air and say, I surrender my life to you. That's all you're doing. I don't want to live my life. I'm a, I don't want to be my own boss. I don't want to try to figure this out anymore. God, I want you to come into my life. God, I want to give you everything that I am. If that's you, all over our campuses, you're going to take the shot. You're going to go all in today. You're going to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. No one's looking around in this moment. If that's you, all over our houses, you need to respond in faith that you would just simply shoot your hand straight up in the air just quickly so that I can see your hand and put it right back down. I see a hand right there. Is there anybody else? Say, hey, Pastor, that's me. Just keep your hand up for one second. We're going to take our time right here. If you're in Montgomeryville or any other campus, Plymouth Meeting, Limerick, Royersford, and that's you, there's somebody standing in the front just like I am. Just shoot your hand straight up in the air, and they're going to send me a quick text and let me know, and we're going to rejoice with you and rejoice with heaven. Come on, is there anybody else who would say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. I need to take that shot. I need to go all in right now. Let's begin to pray as people are responding. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done here. Thank you, Lord. As people give themselves to you right now in this moment, they, they just say, Jesus, I don't even fully comprehend or understand this. I don't even, I'm not a praying person. I don't even, I don't understand it all, but I know that I know that I was sent here for a reason today. I know that I know that you're speaking to me. I, I, I know that I can't do life on my own anymore. And I know, Jesus, that I, that I want a relationship with you. So, Jesus, would you come in? Would you save me? Would you set me free? Would you forgive my sins as far as the east is from the west? Would you begin to, to mold me into the person that you created me to be? I give you everything that I am. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. I give you my shame. I give you my secrets. I give you everything. I give you my best, my talents, everything that I am. Right now, I lay it at your feet. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. That's all I want, Lord. Lord, I want to become all that you've called and created me to be. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for the people that responded. We're grateful for that person that responded in Royersford, for the people that are responding online. We're grateful for all that you continue to do as you speak through your word and you change people's lives forever. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Hey, one more time, Journey Church. Would you shout amen with me? Come on, let's clap together.